The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Jesus is my, my Savior. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, Matthew chapter 1, Verse 21, the word of God says, And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You, you are to name him Yehoshua. In other words, Jehovah saves, Jehovah heals, Jehovah delivers. Jehovah is our salvation. You have to name him Yehoshua because he will Yeshua his people, deliver, save his people from their sin. So the word Yeshua actually means salvation, deliverance, rescue, freedom, restoration. It's a word that all encompasses all these things. So when we say Jesus, when you say Jesus is my savior, you are saying Jesus is my savior, Jesus is my healer, Jesus is my deliverer, Jesus is my restorer, Jesus is my redeemer. And for, for a Jew, the word salvation is, it's, um, it's like the total emancipation of them as individuals and for them as a nation. So they don't see salvation just as deliverance from sin. You know, and, 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 and God really doesn't see salvation like that. Salvation is beyond sin. And it includes deliverance from sicknesses, from deliverance from poverty, deliverance from, from even Bad governance. Praise the name of the Lord. In Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Now, at this time, Jesus had died and resurrected and he was about to ascend to heaven. And when the apostles were with Jesus, the word of God says, they kept asking him. Consistently, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free save salvation Yeshua Israel and restore the kingdom you are the savior Jesus as the time come for you to restore because right now you have resurrected we are excited you know and Jesus did not deny the fact that he will restore Israel but he says the time is with the father so when we look at salvation we should look at um, uh, the whole package, the total thing. And that is how God expects us to embrace salvation. In Acts chapter 3, if you read the whole of Acts chapter 3, there's a fantastic story of a crippled man sitting by the gate called Beautiful. And Peter and John were going to pray. And they saw the crippled man. And they said to him, Silver and gold are thine own. That which I have, I give unto you. 
in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they grabbed the crippled man and he began to walk. And he was leaping and dancing and praising the Lord, the Bible says. And Peter and John were thrown into prison for healing a crippled man and for declaring the lordship of Jesus. And Peter, in, verse, in chapter 4, Peter was saying to them that men and brethren, are we being examined today because of the healing of this crippled man? And he said something very profound in verse 12 of Acts chapter 4. Verse 12, Peter said, there is no salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now, what is in contention is the fact that they healed a crippled man. But Peter was using the same word, salvation for healing. You could say, Peter, quoting Peter says, there is no healing in any other. But for the Jew, healing, deliverance, protection, everything comes in salvation. Praise the name of the Lord. I would say salvation is all encompassing. Jesus paid the price and he paid the price for your, the salvation of your soul, for the healing of your body and my body, for the deliverance from oppressive spirits, depression, whatever, from deliverance from poverty. Jesus died for deliverance of poverty. Yes. Praise the Lord. He did. Now, while salvation is all-encompassing, the truth remains that the root cause of all the problems that salvation came to solve is sin. I was a sin. Sin is the root cause. If Adam had not eaten that apple, we will not be in this mess today. If Adam had not taken the apple, we won't be here today. Maybe we will be by the beach drinking apple juice. You know, when I said Pinakonada in the first worship experience, that was a pastor. Pinakonada is a colleague. Okay. The one that doesn't have a call. <laughs> Maybe We've just been running around in our bedding suits, having fun. Some people are still processing that. What's that? Bedding suit. What what might that be? Maybe, of course, definitely we'll be in God's glory, in God's presence, covering us. Now, the key thing here is the root cause was sin. So, which is why when Matthew 121 says he will deliver his people from their sins. It means that if we take care of sin, a whole lot of these things we just fall, should fall into place. So there's a problem with tenaciously claiming freedom from poverty and not seeking freedom from sin. So we have people that well, come to church if you will and all they want is breakthrough financially they don't want to break through from sin but they want to break through from 
the witches in the village. But they don't want to break through from sin. But they want to break through from oppression. But they don't want to break through from sin. So they've turned the pastors into herbalists. Just pray for the breakthrough. And forget about my life. But that's not God. Praise the name of the Lord. God is both interested in the breakthrough and your life. God wants you to have a breakthrough. Say amen. amen. But more importantly, God is interested in your life. In 1 John chapter 3, from verse 5, 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, 1 John 3, 5, the, the word of God says that, and you know that Jesus came to, to do what? Take away our sins. And there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues, everybody say continues. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. Wow. Wow. So when we sin, we need to check. We've stopped continuing. We've stopped. Anyone that continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone, everybody say anyone. Anyone that keeps on sinning, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a bishop, whether you're an archbishop, whether you're an evangelist, whether you're an apostle, whether you are a, a prophetess, whether you're a prophet, whether you're a pastress, or a babangelist. You know, when we were small, my younger brother used to call evangelist babangelist. <laughs> anyone, everyone say anyone. Anyone who keeps on sinning does not even know him or understand who he is. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your post is. It doesn't matter who you are. If you continue to sin, the Bible says you don't even know God. Wow. How does that run contrary to the message of erroneous grace that is being preached? How does that run contrary? And this is in the New Testament. Abi? New Testament. It says, verse 7, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. You know, God knew that there's going to be a lot of deception about this issue. Don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous. Even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, everybody say, keep on sinning. When people keep on sinning, it also shows that they belong to who? To the devil. The key is keeps on sinning. Keep on sinning. Do Christians sin? Of course they do. But Christians should not keep on sinning. They shouldn't. Or we shouldn't. 
It shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God, everybody say the Son of God, came to what? Destroy the works of the devil. And every work of the devil in your life will be destroyed in Jesus' name. Totally. Totally. Those who have been born into God's family, let's read this together. Do not make a practice of sinning. Those that have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. Because God's life is in them. Now, why don't they make it a practice, sin a practice? Why? Because God's life is in them. So, why, why am I not comfortable sinning? Because there's something in me that is rejecting sin. Praise the name of the Lord. There is something in me that not only is rejecting sin, as I yield myself to God, will empower me to live above sin. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children. How can you tell? You know, it's amazing how the word of God is so clear and in black and white. I don't know where the confusion is coming from. It's in black and white. Total black and white. So, what are you saying, pastor? The differentiating factor between the sheep and the goat. You know the parable that Jesus gave? Matthew 25. Sheep and goat. He said to the sheep, come to my right hand. Enter into the joy of your Lord, right? He said to the goat, go to your, the left hand. What is the differentiating factor? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. But the goat says, but we healed in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We preach the gospel in your name. We built churches for you, Jesus. We did this. But Jesus says, I don't know you. I'm praying that you will hear well done. And not I don't know you. In Jesus' name. It boils down to that. So again, pastor, you're saying that, oh, it's impossible to sin once you are a Christian. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's a life in you that is able to empower you above sin. You know, I gave the example in first question of students, how, you know, seven in the north, everything there was, I don't know if it is the same way today, but everything there was slow. Everything was slow. So you enter a car, a bus, new bus, new road, and the driver is going at 30 kilometers an hour. And you are from Lagos. Guess what is happening inside? You are boiling. Step on this thing, man. You know. 
So it, it forces you to slow down. And that's what it did for me at the time. It forced me to slow down and just be calm. And in, in my observations, you know, one of those times, you know, I was just sitting down. You know, you just have a lot of time in your hands. I was watching a bunch of sheep. A car came and splashed mud on them. You know what they did? They went to a wall, barbed, like barbed wire kind of, and they were scratching their body where the mud was, on the fence, until they got rid of the mud. The sheep was, there was something in the sheep that, was, that made it uncomfortable with the, with the mud. But just on the other side, there's a pond of mud, and inside were pigs. They were just rolling and basking in the mud. And that's the difference. Mud can happen. But the pig and the goats, as it were, they enjoy the mud. And they continue in the mud. But the sheep will not rest until it gets rid of the mud. Ask your neighbor, which are you? Sheep or pig? Don't bother getting a response. <laughs> the life of God makes, brings that state of restlessness until you deal with the matter. It brings that state of restlessness until you, you deal with the matter. And that is what salvation is about. That is the, it's, 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 it's the, it's like the seed that contains the whole package that we all are looking for. Yeshua, Jesus, came to save us from sin and everything that came as a result of sin. He came to save us from sin and everything that came as a result of sin. Sickness, devils, poverty, attacks, everything that came as a result of sin, Jesus came to save us from. Praise the name of the Lord. Everything. This is why we, 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 we um, have programs like God will gain service, you know. We come together and we enforce everything Jesus has done for us. We enforce it. And it stands in Jesus' name. So, Jesus is my salvation or is my savior is personal. Salvation is personal. Jesus is my salvation is a personal thing. It's a personal, personal thing. While we cannot come to church like this and we cannot worship, salvation remains personal. Remains personal. You were not there when God found me. I wasn't there when he found you. Well, some of you. I was there when he found some of you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> But even as we all worship, I don't know what is going on in your hearts with God. Some people are here, they are worshiping, and their hearts are just 
Jesus, I love you. Some other people, they are worshipping. Their hearts are just, have they noticed my new dress today? They better notice so. Salvation is personal. I know that some scripture, you know, kind of alludes to the fact that, you know, it's communal, but if you look at them carefully, comparing scripture with scripture, you discover that it is really personal. Acts 16.31, Acts 16.31, when the jailer came to um, Peter and, 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 and no, Paul and Silas and fell on their face and said, what must, what must I do to be saved? And they responded and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. You know, you may think that scripture is saying that once they get saved, everyone in their household gets saved. That's not what it's saying. Because everyone in charge of a household back then has a lot of influence over the household. So, they are sure of making everyone quote-unquote, come to church. That doesn't save them, but it opens them up for the scriptures. It makes them taste and see that the Lord is good and eventually um, um, leads to their salvation. That's why God said concerning Abraham that I know he will command his household after me. He will command them after, after me. So the faith of the father does not save the son. The faith of the mother does not save the daughter. The faith of the husband does not save the wife. The faith of the wife does not save the husband. Salvation is what? It's personal. Salvation is personal. Well, we can help ourselves along the way. Salvation remains fundamentally personal. Jesus did what he did and he did for all. But when we respond, we respond as one. What Jesus did, he did for all. But when we respond, we respond as one. You and God. You and who? And God. There's a story in Luke 7, 47. You can write it down and read the whole of Luke 7 when you get home. But we're not going to read it. A woman came and, you know, she broke an alabaster box of um, ointment, jar, you know, and anointed Jesus' head and was kissing his feet, washing the feet with her tears, wiping it with her hair, you know, and all that and all that. And everybody, a lot of the people around there were indignant. They, they were wondering, why is she doing this? Why is she wasting this much resources? Particularly Judas. Judas was saying, why? Why is he wasting these resources on Jesus? And guess Jesus, uh, Judas' argument. If we sold this oil, as I'm looking at it, this thing costs a lot of money. If we sold it, <laughs> we will take care of the poor. Why is she wasting these resources on Jesus when people are hungry? Have you heard that debate recently? Why is she wasting resources on Jesus when people are hungry? And Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. The one that you woke up with, did you give him your bread? And he said something very profound that is instructive for us. Jesus said to Simon, Simon the leopard, whose house they were having the, the dinner. Jesus said to Simon, Simon, 
I came to your house. You did not wash my feet. You did not wipe my feet. You did not give me oil, olive oil for my head. This woman has washed my feet with her tears, wiped them with the air on her head, has not stopped kissing my feet. Praise the name of the Lord. (laughs) Anointed my head with the oil. The most expensive oil. And all you can do is criticize her, Simon. But really, Simon, it's because he that is forgiven little loves little. And he that is forgiven much loves much. He's saying it's personal. As far as you are concerned, Simon, my, your, your sins that I forgave you, they are little. After all, you're a good man. I just healed you of leprosy. But she perhaps has been a prostitute, perhaps has lived righteous living, and she has received grace, and she's grateful for what she has. And for many of us, we don't realize that we have been forgiven much. And because we don't realize we've been forgiven much, we are not as we are not responding as we should. Everyone, even Simon, this guy, was forgiven much. If you think you've not been forgiven much, here, yeah, put up your hand. Jesus is forgiving much, just a little. In fact, I did him a favor by inviting him to lunch. Jesus did not forgive me much. So, when it's time to praise God, why are you, why are you beefing? Why are you posing? When it's time to praise God, like, I don't know if she said in the second watch experience, the first watch experience, the person that led praise was saying to us that praise is personal. Nobody can praise God for you. You can hire many bodies, many types of people, but you cannot hire praisers on your account. God wants to hear you praise God. How come when you come to God's house and it's time to praise God, you are not praising God, but the guy that is praising God, you have an issue with him. You're like, can't we just behave like decent? It's not your fault. You were not there. When Jesus healed them, when he healed them of what defied medical science, you weren't in there. Praise the name of the Lord. But interestingly, some of you have been healed of things that defied medical science. You are still cool. Something is wrong with that. Praise the name of the Lord. You were not there when he took her from poverty and now she is in abundance. You were not there when she could not pay her rent and Jesus came through and now she's dancing for Jesus. You were not there. But think about it. Did he not take care of your rent too? So, where's your posing coming from? Praise the name of the Lord. Salvation is personal. Our response to Christ is heavily personal. It's personal. Don't mind who is beside you. Whenever you are 
come to God's house. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who is watching you. It's irrelevant. The only person that matters is who? It's God. Jesus. And let him hear these praises from a grateful heart. So Jesus is my savior. It has a couple of implications. Look at four of them. I think four of them. And we'll close. Jesus is my savior. The first implication is my eternity is secure. Jesus is my savior, then my eternity is secure. I mean, when I die, I know where I'm going. Or when the rapture comes, I know where I'm going. My eternity is secure. Hebrews 7.25, Hebrews 7.25, the word of God says in Hebrews 7.25, says, therefore, he is able once and for all to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Jesus is able to save once and for all. Once and for all. My eternity is secure. You know, I, I was reading um, on the internet a few days ago how Google is investing heavily their new um, line of investment is in a biotech company that wants to eradicate death. The objective is to eradicate death and reverse aging. I read it and I smiled. <laughs> I smiled because who has a problem with death? Is death a problem? Death is not a problem. When has death become a problem? My eternity is secure. Praise the name of the Lord. I have eternal life now. I have eternal life. If I'm here to live is what? Christ. To die is what? Is gain. Who doesn't want to gain? To die is gain. And I said, while, I, while it's exciting to see how men push boundaries, and, and that is so fantastic because that is what has led to a lot of the breakthroughs technologically that we have today. Men pushed boundaries, you know? But the truth is that there are boundaries that will not be pushed. It is appointed for man to die. Uh, you cannot overcome death. <laughs> After that was <laughs> judgment. So rather than wasting money, come and give me the money, Jerry. <laughs> So that we can take the world for Jesus. So, Jesus is my savior. Eternity is secure. Jesus is my savior. What does that mean? It means God will not withhold anything good from me. That's comforting. If Jesus is my savior, God will not withhold anything good from me. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 Romans 8.32, the word of God says that since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? 
He says, look at Jesus. Jesus was sacrificed for you and I. If God can give up Jesus, won't God give us any... What can he not give us? Now, if God can give you Jesus, is he a house that he can't give you? Think about it. If God can give you Jesus, he can't give you a car. Is he healing? Is he, is he a husband? Is he a wife? What can Jesus give you? If God can give you Jesus, what is it that is more expensive than Jesus? It's just like you have a child and you've spent a lot on that child. You send the child to the best school that costs you everything you have. You're investing so much in the child. Then the child comes and says, I want chocolate, dad. You can afford chocolate, but you think it's not good for his teeth. And he says, sorry, son, I'm not going to give you this chocolate now until you know how to brush your teeth and take care of your hygiene. And he goes and says, oh, my daddy hates me. My mommy hates me. They don't... Have you, have you heard that before? They don't like me. They don't, yeah, 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 yeah. What would the parents say? They would just laugh. At least they should. Just look at this guy. <laughs> he doesn't even know what he's saying. That's how we have to go sometimes. If he can give us Jesus, what can he not give us? So if he's saying, wait for that house, Wait! Praise the Lord. Because you will get the house. Praise the name of the Lord. If he says, wait for X, wait. It means there's nothing it will be told for me that is good. It will not be told healing. It will not be told deliverance. It will not be told freedom. It will not be told restoration. There's nothing we withhold. Nothing. Praise the name of the Lord. So number three, Jesus is my savior. The implications of that, the third implication of that is because he's just my savior, God has not only secured my eternity, will not only withhold anything good from me, he actually rushes to save me. He rushes to deliver me. He rushes to, to, to free me. Does he? Really? Yes, he does. Luke chapter 14 from verse 1. Luke 14, 1. The word of God says that on the Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner. Have you noticed that Jesus likes eating? You know, I said to folks that if we are not fasting, we are what? We are feasting. If Jesus is not fasting, he's feasting. The guy just likes to Enjoy life. <laughs> From one banquet to another. This is yet another, another dinner. One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of a Pharisee. Another one. And the people were watching him how? Closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked, the Pharisees and the experts in religious law, is it permitted 
in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on Sabbath, on the Sabbath? Which of you doesn't work on Sabbath? Raise your hand, let me see. If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush, everybody say rush. Don't you rush to get him. Don't you rush to get, if your son, imagine you have a son or you have a daughter or you have, yeah, or you have a cow or you have a sister. If your son falls into the ditch, would you think that, oh, this boy did not clean his room yesterday? Is that what comes through your mind? Would you think that, oh, I, I sent him to go and buy Indomie. He didn't go. Let him perish in the pit. Is that what comes through your mind? Of course, I hope not. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The first instinct as a father is to, to save the boy. And Jesus is saying, if you can rush to save your own son, don't you think God is better than you? So you've asked for that thing. Don't you know that God is rushing behind the scene to make it happen? Really? God is rushing? Yes. So, so it's been rushing for five years? Yes. He needs to rush more? Yes. <laughs> but that's the truth. There are things that we don't know that God is doing on our behalf. But he's doing them even though we don't know them. But he's doing them anyway. Praise the name of the Lord. Jesus is my Savior. The fourth implication of this is that it means, if Jesus is my Savior, it means God loves me. If Jesus is my Savior, it means God, God what? Loves me. God actually loves me. Rick Warren said sometime ago that I don't have to know all the answers. I just have to know the God that has all the answers and that he loves me. You know, things that you didn't calculate may happen to you. You don't have all the answers, but you, need, you can rest in this, that your God has all the answers. And number two, that he loves you. So if God has all the answers and he loves me, then I can go to sleep. Praise the name of the Lord. See, God does not only love me unconditionally. A lot of us, we can, we can understand that. I definitely can understand that, how God can love me unconditionally because I know God needs to put up with a lot of things to love me unconditionally, right? So we can understand that. But what I struggle, struggled with, I don't struggle with it anymore, what I struggled with is that God actually doesn't only love me unconditionally, God actually likes me. God doesn't only love me with agape. God actually loves me with filio. He, he actually likes me. I mean, that is tough. That, or rather, that was tough for me. It was tough for me because I was like, how can God like me? I was like, God likes me. 
If you will, you can, you can shut your eyes and just say, God actually likes me. And breathe, and breathe. Ah. This is so, so amazing. God actually likes me. Because I know that not everybody likes me. Everybody likes me. And before you look at me in a funny way, not everybody likes you too. If you think everybody likes you, you are in full paradise. <laughs> Not everybody likes you. Not everybody likes you. And to think that God will like you and God will like me, it's almost unbelievable. He does not only love us unconditionally, that is, he can tolerate us because of his unconditional love, he actually likes, everybody likes he actually likes us. There are many people around you today because they need you, not because they like you. There are people around you today because they need you, not because they want you. They are just there because they need you. They need you to do this. They need you to do that. They need you to do this. They need you to do that. That's all. They need you to give them money. They need you to call somebody for them. They need you to, that, to do that. They need you to do that. That is all. When they don't need you anymore, what happens? <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've not been pastoring for so long. Just a few years. And in these few years of mine, people can use you like rainwater. Have you heard that before? Because they need you. And they will be nice to you. But you will think they like you. But wait until they don't need you anymore. Then you will know that they don't even give a damn whether you die or not. They don't care. One of the greatest deliverance you can have for yourself is to know who actually likes you and who doesn't. God can reveal them to you. And I pray that he does. I pray he does. Because many people are around you because they need you, not because they like you. So I said to, to um, singles, are, I mean, you are, you, you are thinking of dating this guy, you are hanging out with this guy, or you, or you are hoping that this guy will marry you. Do you really like him? Say, oh, but pastor, I love you with unconditional love. I say, but do you really like him? Say, oh, pastor, you know, he still, he still smokes. I can't stand the odor of the cigarettes, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> do you really like him? If you're married, you see, you have to <laughs> like your spouse. You have to like your spouse. If you don't like your spouse, receive the grace to like your spouse in Jesus' name. Now say amen. Well, say, but I'm not married. Say amen now. I like my wife. 
like her. She's so adorable. Oh. <laughs> I just like to hang out around her. You know, I just, I mean, I can't help it. Sometimes I pretend I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know I do. But deep down, <laughs> I do. Now, the key thing is this. There are many people are living together, they don't like themselves. So, Pastor, what do we do? I'm praying today that the wall of separation between you will collapse. And you actually begin to like yourselves. Praise the Lord. It's so, so, so important. So, so people around you, because they need you, not because they want you, because they need you, not because they want you. You give the example of the wife that is going on vacation with the children, and the man is saying, oh, there's not enough money for all of us to go on vacation to Where do people go on vacation these days? To France. There's not enough money for all of us to go on vacation to France. So let us, let's do Obudu Kato Ranch. And the wife says, but there's enough money for me and the children to go. Don't worry, we will go. <laughs> you, you can come next year. What she's saying, we need you. But we don't really want you. Ouch. But that is the truth. Maybe I should go on now. <laughs> I'm praying again. If you find it difficult to like your spouse, that God will give you the grace to like them. In the mighty name of Jesus. God, on the other hand, even though God doesn't need us, God still likes us. I mean, that's just amazing. Even though God doesn't really need us, God still likes us. I mean, God likes me. I know God likes me. And I say to myself, why does he like me? You know, the songwriter that says, Who am I that you are mindful of me? And you hear me when I call. Is it true that... How you that I'm a friend of God, of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. You see, you can't be a friend of somebody you don't like. What creates friendship is the likeness. He doesn't need us, but he likes us. And it's amazing that he, he, the funny thing is that even though we need him, we don't always want him. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. But even though we need him, we don't always want him. 
oh, we, we just need him in church. You know, let us pray. Let us have the breakthrough. But we don't want him because we want to go to the, the bar. We want to go to the club and, and see half-naked girls and still touch their breasts. God, I don't, I don't want you here. I don't want you here. But, but, uh, but God's will reign service. We need him. Breakthrough. 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 We need him. Then on Monday, on Monday, we are saying, oh, we don't, I don't really want you. Isn't that pathetic? Totally pathetic. The God of the heavens and the earth that doesn't need you, wants you. You, that you are so frail, that you really need him, shouldn't you want him? Why do you love God so much? It's simple, it's very simple. That is why we love God so much. God doesn't need me, and he likes me, and wants me. So, do I have a choice in responding to the love? No, I just respond, and I love him too. Praise the name of the Lord. So, as we, as we round up, Jesus is my savior. It's personal. It's, it's what? Personal. doesn't matter how it is to the person to your right, to your left. It's personal. Totally personal. And what keeps you going in spite of all odds is the life of God that is in you. It's the life of God that is in you. So you should release yourself to God so that his life can come into you. So that there can be the perfect union, if you will, you and God. Because you desperately need him and he desperately wants you. So that you can desperately want him. Let's bow our hearts as we bow our heads. I want us to pray about what we've heard. Some of us need to contemplate on the fact that God really likes me. God likes me? How can God like me? Is that possible? You need to contemplate on that. God really likes you. He really does. For some of us, Jesus is my savior. It's personal. We need to make that personal decision today. Jesus, I make Jesus my savior. The life of God needs to come into my, my being. The life of God that, that overcomes sin needs to come into my being. For some of us, we've buried that life, quote-unquote. We, we've, as it were, subdued that life. We, we've, we've covered it up with a lot of junk. But you are saying, Pastor, I want that life, that life of God. I want to pray with you. If you are saying, I want that life of God in me, the life that will empower me to overcome sin, or, or, or I, I, I used to have it, not that, I've, but I've, I've covered it as it were. I've, I've drowned it, so to speak. I don't have the life of God. I need to rekindle. That is me. 
Put up your hand now over your head. I want to pray with you. You don't need to come forward. Wherever you are seated, put up that hand. I'll pray with you right now at the gallery. If you are putting it up, pull it up well over your head. God bless you. Right there, my sister. God bless you. Right. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. On the internet, if you are responding, the instructions are scrolling. If you have the card, you can pull down your hand, please. Put down your hand, but cry to God. Say to God, have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. Fill me with your life. Fill me with your life. Fill me with your life. That is me, Pastor. I need the life of God. I used, I used to be a custodian, as it were, of the life of God. But it slipped off. Put up your hand now over your head quickly, and I'll pray with you. I'll pray with you. At the gallery, if you're up, pull it up well. The ushers are going to attend to you. God bless you. Father in heaven, we thank you. We give you praise and glory in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray for everyone in this place, all over the internet that has surrendered to you, Lord. We ask in the name of Jesus that you birth your life in them according to your word. In the mighty name of Jesus. That life that causes you to triumph, causes us to triumph consistently, give unto them. Those that need your life rekindled, rekindle those, that life in the mighty name of Jesus. Honor and glory we give unto you, Father. Now we pray for everyone that has heard the side of you that likes them, that is fond of them. Now the grace to respond appropriately give unto us, Father. Honor and glory we give unto you. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord.